Isn't that beautiful? Lovely. Now, my name's Adam. If uh, we haven't met yet, I'm part of the team here, and it's really great to see you and to have you with us today. Last week, uh, we kicked off a brand new sermon series that we've called, I Have a Question. This series is going to take us through to Easter next weekend, and what we're doing is we're looking at big questions people have and ask about the Christian faith and worldview. So last week we looked at the question, aren't we better off without religion? Hasn't Christianity done more harm than good in the world? Now if you missed it, you can check it out on our website or on our YouTube channel. Next week on Easter weekend, we're going to be looking at two questions. On Good Friday, we're going to ask the question, how could a good God allow so much suffering? We're going to look at that on the day we remember the death of God's Son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. Then on Easter Sunday, we're going to ask the question, well, isn't the resurrection just a fairy tale? We're going to dig into some of that. So we'd love to have you next weekend for our Easter services. Love to have you invite someone along to church as well. But today, we are looking at the question, hasn't science buried God? Hasn't the rise of science rendered belief in God irrelevant and outdated. Aren't God and science diametrically opposed to one another? Aren't Christians unscientific, anti-intellectual, and gullible and naive? They're the questions that we're going to look at Today, and I'd like to begin by sharing with you a scene from a TV series that I was watching recently. There's two detectives, and they're following up a lead, and it brings them to a revival tent and service in small town America. There's a, a preacher up the front that's very excited, he's got large sideburns. Uh, thankfully, we don't have large sideburns here today. There's a, a congregation that are very enthusiastically listening. And one of the detectives turns to the other and he says, what do you think the average IQ of this group is, huh? To which the second detective responds and he says, can you see Texas up there on your high horse? What do you know about these people? The other replies, just observation and deduction. I see a propensity for obesity, poverty, a yen for fairy tales. Folks putting what few bucks they do have into little wicker baskets being passed around. I think it's safe to say that nobody here is going to be splitting the atom. The second detective responds and he says, not everybody wants to sit alone in an empty room like you. Some folks enjoy community, the common good. The original detective then concludes, he says, well, if the common good has got to make up fairy tales, then it's not good for anybody. And the reason this stood out to me is because this is the attitude that is so typical of many in our day. That to be a Christian means to be anti-intellectual and unscientific. To believe in fairy tales rather than facts. To follow superstition rather than science. In fact, it was Stephen Hawking, the, the, the famous scientist, who said, there is no heaven or afterlife. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. I've always appreciated John Lennox's reply uh, to Mr. Hawking, and he said, well, atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. But it's beside the point. 
I, that's not in my notes, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. For many people today, religion is a relic of a bygone era. Sure, there was a time in the past when we didn't know what we know now, and those ancient people, they needed to lean on the idea of gods to explain the natural world. That's why lightning was, was, um, was from Zeus from Mount Olympus, or, or thunder was Thor striking his hammer. But with the rise of modern science, the gaps in our knowledge, the gaps that people used to fill with God, they are now shrinking. And very soon, there'll be no room left for God at all. This is why Neil deGrasse Tyson, a a popular scientific presenter, he remarks, God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. Now, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying if you believe in God, it's not because you have good reasons, it's because you are ignorant to science. It's because you haven't faced up to the facts, you haven't examined the evidence, or if you have, you've ignored it. And the question that we want to explore today, well, is that true? Is that right? Are God and science opposed to one another? Has science really buried God? Well, the first thing that maybe we need to say, and the first thing that I'd like to admit this morning, and maybe it's obvious, but I'm not a scientist. This is not my field of expertise. Science is not, and never really has been, my area of passion. At school, I was far more interested in English and history and sport. And so what I'm sharing with you today is largely what I've learned from listening to and from reading others, especially those who are far more qualified than I am. And so I thought it would be helpful to share with you some of the resources that I've found helpful in my preparation. The first is a sermon by a a gentleman named Dan Patterson. Now, Dan is a local Brisbane boy. He studied apologetics at Oxford, um, and he leads a ministry called Questioning Christianity. You can look it up. There's a website, lots of resources online. Dan recently preached a sermon on this topic, which I found useful. Secondly, there was a couple of books, or there is a couple of books, written by John Lennox. Now, John Lennox, who I quoted earlier, is the professor of mathematics at Oxford. He's also a well-known Christian author and writer and thinker. And he's written two books on this particular topic, one called God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God? And more recently, he's written Can Science Explain Everything? I'd recommend both of those books to you. Then there is the Undeceptions podcast by John Dixon. Now, I mentioned uh, John Dixon to you last week. He's an Australian author, historian, and writer. And he hosts this podcast called Undeceptions, which I find incredibly helpful. And there's a few episodes on there that were particularly helpful for this topic. One called God Science with John Lennox, and another called Science Wars, which goes into the history of this topic. Copernicus, Galileo, and the like. It's fascinating, and I would recommend it to you. So there's more, but this is just a good place to start. Now, with that being said, let's get back to our question from a moment ago. Has science buried God? Well, I'd like to suggest today that it hasn't, and I'd like to give you four reasons why. The first reason, if you're taking notes, is this. High-profile scientists still believe in God. Now, this is a relatively simple, but I think telling observation. Because if science really has buried God, made belief in God irrelevant, outdated, unthinkable, then you would imagine that no scientist today would believe in God. 
you would imagine that any scientist worth their salt will have dismissed belief in God as childish, irrelevant, and simplistic. The only problem is that the facts suggest otherwise. Let me give you a few examples. Dr. Francis Collins is undeniably one of the most influential scientists alive in the world today. He led the team that first decoded human DNA. He's also the former head of the US National Institutes of Health. Now, Dr. Collins was not raised as a Christian. He was actually an atheist while he was a student at Yale University. But later in life, after being confronted with some big questions, he became a follower of Jesus. Then there is Joan Centrella. She is the former deputy director of astrophysics research at NASA. And she became a Christian while she was already a top scientist in her field. Jing Kong is professor of electrical engineering at MIT. She grew up as an atheist in China, but became a Christian while she was a grad student at Stanford. And she says, my research is only a platform for me to do God's work. His creation, the way he made this world, it's amazing. Daniel Hastings is a world expert in space science. He's also professor of aeronautics and astronautics at MIT, and he became a Christian while he was a teenager in England. Russell Coburn is physics professor at Cambridge. He's a world expert in nanotechnology, which means really, really, really small technology. And he says this, he says, understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller. It allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. Now, I could go on, but here's the point. These experts don't see a conflict between science and God. They don't see science as an alternative to God. They actually see their science as worship of God. They agree with what the pioneering astronomer, Johann Kepler, said. He said that when we study the natural world, we are thinking God's thoughts after him. Which is exactly what the Bible says in Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Listen to this. Day after day, they pour forth speech. The heavens are continually speaking to us. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And there are scientists all over the world that are listening carefully. Now, you might say, well, you know, that, that's only a small sample size, Adam. I mean, sure, of course, there's going to be some scientists who believe in God, but, but surely most scientists in the world today are not believers. Well, I'm not sure about the statistics across the whole industry, but if, if you will survey Nobel Prize winners across the 20th century, you will discover that across all categories of the award, 65% of the winners believed in God. And when you narrow it down to the hard sciences, to, to physics and math and chemistry, the number doesn't actually go down, but it goes up. 85% of winners identified as either Jewish or Christian. And this leads Dan Patterson to conclude, from this simple observation, we can draw a simple conclusion. If science has disproved God, then someone forgot to tell an awfully large number of prize-winning scientists. And this leads us to our second observation, which is this. Second reason science has not buried God. Christianity arguably gave birth to modern science. 
Now, if you go back in history, you'll see that Christianity, far from being a barrier to science, it actually motivated and fueled the rise of modern science. Nearly every father of modern scientific fields, they believed in God and they believed the words of the Bible. Johann Kepler, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, some of the most influential scientists of all time that were also sincere believers in God. As was Robert Boyle, one of the founders of modern chemistry, also perhaps one of the founders of the perm. (laughs) What a brilliant haircut that is. Gregor Mendel, he is considered the father of genetics. George Washington Carver, he was a pioneering botanist in America. All of these trailblazing scientists, they did not see their science as a hindrance. They did not see their faith, sorry, as a hindrance to their science. They they saw their faith as inspiring their science. Now, why is this the case? Why is it that the, the Christian worldview has led to this pursuit of scientific endeavor? Well, the answer goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Because this is what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible suggests that our universe is not the result of random chance or blind luck. But rather, behind it all is an eternal mind, an intelligent designer, that God has shaped and cultivated and filled our world. And if this is true, then we should expect to find rationality and order and consistency written into the fabric of our universe. And this is what these early Christians expected to discover, and this is what set them out on their journey of scientific pursuit. Here's the way C.S. Lewis puts it, in his characteristically pithy way. He says, men became scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. They believed in a lawgiver. Christian worldview provides the conditions to motivate scientific endeavor. Coherent, consistent, comprehensible laws written into the fabric of the universe, which is upheld by a God of order. And this is why Hans Holverson, who is a professor of philosophy at MIT, he argues that those who believe in a creator God, they have a better reason to do science than even atheists. Because he says, if you don't think there's a God, who made the laws of this universe in the first place. If you believe this universe is here by accident, then there's no final explanation for why science works. You just have to say, aren't we lucky that it does work? And all of this leads Glenn Scrivener to conclude in his book. Listen carefully. He says, throughout history, there have been incredibly intelligent peoples, but they haven't given us science as we know it today. The ancient Greeks produced wonderful mathematics, logic, and philosophy, but not science. That's because while they believed in reason, they did not believe in testing hypotheses with with real-world data. Coming from the opposite direction, the ancient Chinese produced incredible technology, spectacles, printing, gunpowder, but nothing like a scientific method. Science has arisen only in cultures that have believed the Bible's view of God, the world, and ourselves. Far from being anti-science, Christianity has generated science and remains the firmest foundation for the scientific endeavor. 
And this leads us to the third reason that science has not buried God. High-profile scientists still believe in God. Christianity arguably gave birth to modern science. And thirdly, science itself provides good reasons to believe in God. You see, you might say, well, okay, you know, Christianity, it, it was the soil out of which science was able to grow. But surely the discoveries of modern science since then, they have gone beyond Christianity. They have even proven it wrong. But again, if we look at the evidence, we see that the discoveries of modern science, they have actually bolstered the Christian faith rather than weakened it. They have actually pointed us in many cases to God rather than away from Him. Let me just give you a couple of examples. The first is the origin of the universe. Now, for a long time, you probably knew this, but for a long time, thanks mainly to Aristotle, most people believed that the universe was eternal, that the universe had always existed. Of course, the Bible tells us something different. It tells us that God is eternal, but the universe is not, because God created the universe at a specific point in time. Now, it wasn't until the early 1900s when scientific consensus shifted. Building on the theories of Albert Einstein, there was a Belgian priest by the name of George Lemaitre, and he proposed that our whole universe started off as an incredibly hot, incredibly dense point, which then expanded with unbelievable speed. Maybe you've got the Big Bang Theory TV show song going through your head right now. Because this is what became known as the Big Bang Theory. Now, initially, most scientists didn't like it or believe it. And they didn't like it or believe it because it sounded a lot like what the Bible had to say. Incidentally, you might not know this, but the cosmologist Sir Fred Hoyle, he did not like this theory from the, the Belgian priest, and so he mockingly called it the Big Bang, and the name just kind of stuck. Now, they didn't like it, like I said, because it sounds too much like what the Bible says, but slowly and steadily, the scientific evidence increased. And the Big Bang Theory is now the prevailing cosmological model which is used to explain the existence of our universe. There's a Nobel Prize winner by the name of Arno Penzias, and this is what he said. He said, the best data we have for the beginning of the universe is exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. In other words, he's saying what the Bible tells us is what science shows us. Now, you might think, wait a minute, the Big Bang? Doesn't that kind of contradict the creation account? Well, here's what John Lennox has to say. He says, not at all. For the Big Bang is not an explanation at all. It is simply a label saying there was a beginning. It says nothing about how the universe came to exist in the first place. The Bible is giving a reason for the existence of the universe. It says God created it. There was a beginning caused by God. And if some people wish to label that beginning the Big Bang, that is fine. It was a Big Bang caused by God. And so modern science supports the view that our universe came into existence at a single point in time. Modern science has also revealed the finely tuned calibration of our universe which allows for intelligent life to survive and to thrive. Now, this uh, fine-tuning is usually called the fine-tuning problem by atheistic scientists, and it's called the fine-tuning argument by Christian philosophers. Now, what is it? Well, think about a watch. Think about the inside of a watch. There are all these different cogs and parts, and they have to be perfectly aligned. They have to perfectly fit together if that watch is going to work properly. 
Well, it's similar when it comes to our universe. There are a number of laws and constants which have to be precisely calibrated. Not a hair's breadth less and not a hair's breadth more for intelligent life to be possible. If any of these features, any of these laws or constants or values were even fractionally different, there would be no stars, no earth, no life. And we have to ask ourselves, did this happen by chance? Are we just really, 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 really lucky? Or is our universe finely tuned for life because it bears the imprint of a fine tuner? Which is more likely? You can see why atheistic scientists call this a problem. I mean, Richard Dawkins has famously, and, and really quite depressingly, said, said, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. But here's the thing. When we look at the bottom level of the universe which is what he's talking about, we don't actually see blind, pitiless indifference. We see intricate design and we see carefully calibrated conditions. And this is why Paul Davies, a world-renowned physicist, a professor at Arizona State University, as far as I know, not a believer in God, yet when he looks at this evidence, this is what he concludes. He says, It is hard to resist the impression that the present structure of the universe apparently so sensitive to minor alteration in numbers, has been rather carefully thought out. The seemingly miraculous concurrence of these numerical values must remain the most compelling evidence for cosmic design. Now, this is about as close as you will get to an atheistic scientist quoting Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And this is why Ard Lewis, professor of theoretical physics at Oxford, he recently said, I think the more we learn about the world, it points more toward God rather than less. And so science itself gives us good reasons to believe in God. And we haven't even gone into what we find when we look into DNA of different creatures and us as well. Science itself gives us good reason to believe in God. And it brings us to our fourth and final reason why science has not buried God. And it's simply this. Science simply cannot explain everything. Now, as I hope I've made clear, science has done so much good in our world. It's enabled us to fly planes, clean water, cure disease. Science has played a vital role in shaping our world. But the fact is, even science has limits. Science is not the only way to truth. Scientific knowledge is not the only kind of knowledge or even the most important kind of knowledge. L let me illustrate it this way. Science can tell you the height of a building. Science can tell you the formula that governs the speed at which an object falls to the ground from that building. But if a person was to jump off that building, the news report would not simply tell you about the distance they fell and the velocity they traveled. The primary question that people would ask is not how, how did it happen? What were the mechanics? The primary quest question that people would ask is why? Not because how isn't important. How is important to coroners and police and so on and so forth. But how is not enough. We're also hardwired to ask why. And this is a question that science cannot answer. Because there's more to life than what we can see and what we can test and what we can observe. Think about it this way. Imagine a lab technician hands 
a flower to a scientist named Mary. And Mary takes it away and she runs a series of tests on it. She discovers its biological and chemical makeup. She discovers the, how it's grown, the pesticides that have been used, and so on and so forth. Now, after many months of hard work, Mary thanks the lab technician for giving her the specimen. To which he says, specimen? Don't you get it, Mary? It was the 14th of February. I gave you a rose. There's more to that rose than its genetics. And that's something more cannot be captured by scientific analysis alone. It doesn't matter how many tests Mary does, she's not going to find the romantic meaning of that rose under the microscope. We need more than science to understand our world. You see, for Christians, our world is like that rose. We can analyze it and we can study it, and we should, but we should also recognize that it's more than a specimen, it's also a message. It's also a gift. And I think that deep down, this is what most people want. We don't want our world to be nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. We, we don't live that way. In fact, there was a documentary released in 2008. It was called The Big Bang Machine. It's about the Large Hadron Collider, which is essentially trying to recreate the Big Bang to, to try to work out exactly what happened at the beginning. And the physicist, Brian Cox, he was explaining why they were spending so much time and so much money on this experiment. That's what he said. He said, physics is stuck, and the only thing left to do is to recreate the universe as it was a fraction of a second after the Big Bang. That's what the Large Hadron Collider is designed to do, to smash bits of matter together at energies never before achieved, listen to this, so that we can stare at the face of creation. Now, that's fascinating language, to stare at the face of creation. And I think it's this recognition that deep down, we have a deep desire to see what is at the heart of all things, to find an answer to the why question, to find out why we are here and where we've come from. Now, sadly, smashing particles together will never give you a face. Sadly, the naturalistic worldview will, will never give you a face. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christianity is that there is a faith behind everything. And that this faith has shown up in human history. The incredible claim of Christianity is not just that God speaks to us through his world and through his word, but that God has shown himself to us in Jesus Christ. Listen to these incredible words from Colossians chapter 1. The Son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Science can tell us a lot about our universe, but it cannot tell us why it exists. For that, God has to speak. And the good news is that God has spoken clearly. God has spoken clearly in Jesus, and it's not a message of judgment, it's a message of grace. 
because Jesus went to the cross making peace between us and God through his blood that was shed. And so let me say to you very clearly, you are more, you are not just a bag of cells. You are not here by random chance. You were created. You have a purpose to know, to love, and to glorify God. You can look at God's faith in Jesus Christ. And you will not find him frowning, but you will find grace and mercy and compassion. This is the best news in the world. This is news that has not been buried, but continues to change lives and continues to change our world. And this is the good news that we are going to celebrate next weekend. Because he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us in the dark. You have shone your light on us. And we see your glory in the world you have made. We find your truth in the word you have given to us. And we find salvation and hope and life in the son you have sent for us. And so help us, Lord, to look up to the face of Jesus where we find grace and compassion and mercy. The one who shed his blood so that we might have peace with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.